I am continuing to preach from the lectionary, but the lectionary gospel lessons goes through about four or five weeks on Jesus as the bread of life. Y'all, there may be preachers who can come up with four or five different sermons on Jesus is the bread of life week after week. I'm not one of those preachers. <laughs> so we're going to take a little detour into Ephesians for a couple of weeks and then come back to, uh, to the gospel lesson in a few weeks. And I really felt like when I read the, the epistle lesson this week, I thought, man, this Paul, Paul is talking to us, y'all. Um, Paul, Paul was talking to, uh, to the ancient churches, but it's as applicable now as it was then. Paul's letter to the Ephesians is what they called a circular letter. And what they meant is that Paul wrote it to circulate among several congregations. Um, churches there were planted relatively close together because travel was on foot or horseback or you know, donkey back. It was, they didn't have modern transportation. I served, the first churches I served, I served um, in New Jersey. And there were 10 churches in very close proximity to one another. I literally pastored one church, and there was another church down the hill at the crossroads. And I was like, man, why on earth would you put 10 Methodist churches in this close of proximity? Well, finally, somebody told me those 10 churches were planted by Francis Asbury, who came through on horseback. And when you start looking at the distance between the churches in terms of getting from church to church on horseback, it suddenly started to make sense. Terrible setup for modern transportation, but, but made a lot of sense for the original context. And the churches in Paul's day were a lot like that. They were close together. And so Paul could write a letter. Some of Paul's letters, he, he writes very much to one congregation. When he wrote First and Second Corinthians, those letters are to the churches in Corinth. There is no question about it. The, church, the letter to the Ephesians is more likely to a group of churches in the area. Paul trying to get across important points. And it sounds like that the folks in, in Ephesus had similar issues to some of what we have now. Because our, our passage today starts with, be angry without sinning, don't let the sun set on your anger. We got a lot of angry folks. If you don't believe me, get on, spend about 10 minutes on Facebook. There's a lot of angry folks out there. And there almost seems to be a certain amount of pride in the anger. You know, righteous indignation. And Paul doesn't say, notice what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say, don't get angry. Even Jesus got angry. When Jesus saw the money changers in the temple... Jesus got angry, and he drove them out, and drove out the, overturned the table, I mean, he made a mess. So Paul doesn't say don't get angry, there's a time and a place for us to get angry, but we need to put limits on our anger. Because we humans love to hold a grudge. I've had, I can't tell you how many folks I've talked to who are still mad about something that happened five years ago, ten years ago, 
20 years ago, 30 years ago. And all that does is weighs you down. It's not hurting the other person. In a lot of cases, the other person doesn't even know that you're holding a grudge. Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. But Paul says, set limits on your anger. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, maybe you can't do that literally. You know, if you and your, your spouse or significant other have, a, have an argument and it, it's later in the evening, you know, maybe you do need to sleep on it, but you need to get up the next morning and try to work it out. We need to try not to stay angry at each other. I read once somewhere that um, somebody said that, that holding a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You're just hurting yourself. You're not hurting the other person. And so Paul says, put limits on your anger. Don't stay angry forever. And for goodness sakes, if anybody had cause to be angry, Paul did. Paul had been persecuted, beaten, whipped, shipwrecked, imprisoned. Paul could have been angry, but he wasn't. He chose love. My grandmother, my mom's mom, was a really, really neat person. My grandmother had cause to be angry. She could have been an angry, bitter woman. She got married at, at about the typical age for her generation, married a Navy man. She didn't realize that she was marrying an abusive alcoholic. They had four children together. My mom's number two. Sometime after the baby was born, the fourth one, my grandfather started not only abusing my grandmother, but starting to come after the kids. And my grandmother realized she needed to get out of there before things got worse. So my grandmother moved out with the four kids in tow, got a job, went to work, and raised those four kids. This was not acceptable behavior in my grandmother's day. Divorce wasn't the commonplace that it is now. And I say that as a woman who is divorced. There was a lot of stigma directed at my grandmother, directed at the kids. Her father died while her mother was still fairly young, after, after my grandmother had moved out. My great-grandmother's husband died. So my great-grandmother moved in with my grandmother and the four kids to take care of the kids. The two of them lived together until three weeks before my great-grandmother died at the age of 94. And the only reason they weren't living together then was because they had to put my great-grandmother in a nursing home. Because she had just gotten too weak for my grandmother to be able to work with her anymore. Mind you, at this point, my great-grandmother is 94, my grandmother is in her 70s. So they, they were two older ladies trying to help each other, and it had just gotten to be too much. My grandmother could have been bitter. She could have looked at what her, she had been through and gotten, been a bitter and angry woman. And nobody would have blamed her. 
that wasn't my grandmother. My grandmother was one of the most giving, kind, loving people I had ever met in my life. She is, y'all, I, I was talking to the, the students about role models. My grandmother was my role model. That's, she, she's who I want to be like when I grow up. Because she knew what it meant to live in love. She had let go of the anger and the bitterness. And she loved. And she loved my brother and I with her whole heart. You know, anytime we were with her, we felt like we were just the most special kids in the world. Because she lived in love. And that's the kind of people that Paul is exhorting the Ephesians to be. He tells them, put aside all bitterness, losing your temper, anger, shouting, and slander, along with every other evil. Y'all, we gotta stop. We are such a divided nation. We are a divided denomination and a divided country. And y'all, it's gotta stop. And we can't fix everything. You know, we, we, can't, we can't make it all better, but God can. And God can use us to make our little corner of the world better. If we will put down the bitterness, you know, think, think twice before you send that text sniping at somebody. Think twice before you answer and say something ugly. Try to think how you'd feel if you were on the receiving end of what you're about to say. Is it something that would build you up or is it something that would tear you down? For heaven's sake, if you need to, take a break off of Facebook, take a break from the news, take a break off of anything that, that, that builds bitterness and negativity in your heart. And let the light of God shine in your life. Paul tells us how to act. Be kind, compassionate, and forgiving to each other in the same way God forgave you in Christ. Therefore, imitate God like dearly loved children. Live your life with love. We're called to imitate God. God loved us so much that God sent his son Jesus to die for us. Jesus loved us so much that he went to the cross on our behalf knowing he was innocent. And Jesus didn't necessarily go to the cross easily. Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed, if there's any other way to do this, Father, let's go with plan B, but not my will but yours. Jesus went to the cross and died on the cross for you and for me. And God loves us like we are the only person there is on the face of the earth to love. Y'all ever been around people? Can make you feel that way? Like you're so special, you're the only person there is on the face of the earth for that time that you're together with them? Growing up, I, I, had, I had my grandmothers who I loved dearly. I also had a set of adopted grandparents next door, Mr. and Mrs. Worrell. And they, when I was with them, man, we go over to their house, they feed us cookies, they let me play on their piano. They, we had a blast with them. They just made us feel special. 
church folks that are like that now too. But I can spend time with them and feel like, hey, this, you know, you, you matter. And I hope I treat y'all that way when I interact with y'all. That y'all know that you matter to God and that you matter to me. Live your life with love. Jesus, on the night which he was being betrayed, gave us a new commandment. And it wasn't the commandment for the new meal, for communion. The commandment was to love one another. We've got one job as Christians, and we don't always do it very well. Our one job as Christians is to love one another. Not just the ones that, that we like, not just the ones that we have a natural affinity for, not just the ones that look like us or talk like us, or are easy to love. We're called to love one another. And one another means everybody. So I encourage you this week to live your life in love. Take some time and read the scriptures if you're having a hard time filling up your heart with love. Go back to the Bible. Go back to John 3.16. Go back to the 1 Corinthians 13 that talk about how we need to live in love and how much, very, very much God loves you. And may we live out of that love that others might see his love shining through us. Amen. Amen.